Amen. All right, well, we're there in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, and uh, this is now the third week we've been in this chapter, and we're not going to be in this chapter very long. We're actually going to move on to chapter 11 here in a minute, but I want to just show you a, a couple of things and kind of explain to you what we're what I'm talking about tonight and what we're doing tonight. And if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and you look at verse number 16, in the, in the latter part of this chapter, the Apostle Paul brings up the subject of communion, or what we refer to as the Lord's Supper. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, look at verse 16, the Bible says this, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Behold, Israel after the flesh are not they which eat of the sacrifices, partakers of the altar? What say I then? That the idol is anything, or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that you should have fellowship with devils. Look at verse 21. You cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. So it's interesting that uh, 1 Corinthians 10 uh, deals with this idea of communion or the Lord's Supper, uh, and, and we just happen to be in 1 Corinthians 10 because of the fact that this coming Wednesday is when we as a church will be partaking in the Lord's Supper. On Wednesday, March 28th, we will be taking communion or the Lord's Supper as a church. And every, every, every time around, every year, I'm Good night. Every time around this, uh, every year around this time, that's what I'm trying to say. Every year around this time, I actually preach a sermon on the Lord's Supper. If you go on our website, uh, you'll find that there's always one sermon on the Lord's Supper every year as, I, as we prepare for the Lord's Supper. And I usually do it around this time, this very week. I usually do it on a Sunday night, but it's fitting that it just happens to be in our uh, passage here. So we're just going to deal with it as part of our Wednesday night Bible study, but it'll be our sermon for the year on communion as well. I want you notice that in 1 Corinthians 10, he brings up the communion or the Lord's Supper, but it's also brought up in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the latter part of chapter 11. If you turn there real quickly, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and look at verse number 23. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 23, notice what the Bible says. Paul says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus Christ, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye, as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he comes. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to cover the last part of 1 Corinthians 10, and we're actually going to just fast forward a little bit and cover the last part of 1 Corinthians 11 and have that just be our communion sermon for this year. And next week, we're going to deal with the first part of 1 Corinthians 11, which has very little to do with the Lord's Supper. It's about hair and, and the length of hair and head coverings and things like that. But then we're going to actually partake of the Lord's Supper uh, next Wednesday when we get together. So again, this sermon is kind of just to prepare us for the Lord's Supper. And I want to teach you about our position on the Lord's Supper and how we do it at Verity Baptist Church. The way we do it here may be different than the way you're used to doing it or the way you've done it in other churches. And I just want you to understand this. I've grown up as an independent Baptist my entire life. I've gone to many different Baptist churches as a result of being in the military. We traveled a lot and went to a lot of different churches. And what I have found is that many churches have different beliefs and practices 
in regards to communion. There seems to be a lot of different stands and things that people do in communion. Tonight, I'm going to explain to you from the Word of God what we do here at Verity Baptist Church, what we do, how we do it, and why we do it. And I just want you to understand that is not to say that any other church that does it differently or your church that you came from that did it differently is a bad church or wrong or whatever. It's just how we do it here. And we're independent Baptists, and praise the Lord for that. And uh, I just want to teach you how we do it. We've done it uh, like this since our church began. And I basically what I'd like to do is just answer three questions for you about the Lord's Supper. I want to answer three questions about the Lord's Supper. So we'll start there in 1 Corinthians 11, and we'll actually come back to 1 Corinthians 10. Here's the first question. What is the purpose of the Lord's Supper? What is the purpose of the Lord's Supper? Why do we take the Lord's Supper? Why was it instituted? What is the point of the Lord's Supper? And I need you to understand a couple of things. The Lord's Supper is basically for a couple of reasons. Number one, it is to remember the death of Christ. Now, that should be pretty uh, self-explanatory, but I want you to look at, their, uh, look at it there in verse number 24 of 1 Corinthians 11. Why do we partake of the Lord's Supper? What is the purpose of the Lord's Supper? To remember the death of Christ. Verse 24, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-four. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Notice what it says, This do in remembrance of me. So he taught us to partake of the Lord's Supper. The purpose of the Lord's Supper is to do it in remembrance or to remember him. Look at verse 25. And after the same manner also, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is a new testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it, again, in remembrance of me. Now, the Lord's Supper is actually like a, like a, a picture lesson. In verse 26, he says this, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do, notice this word, show the Lord's death. So when we take of the Lord's Supper, we are remembering the death of Christ, but we are actually showing or picturing the death of Christ in the sense that when we take the bread and we break the bread, the bread is a picture or a representation of the body of Christ and the fact that His body was broken for us. And by the way, that's why at Verity Baptist Church, if you've never taken the Lord's Supper with us, uh, you may find this differently, but every church I ever grew up with, uh, going, uh, you know, grew up in that we took the Lord's Supper, they'd always hand us a little tiny uh, square cracker. Who's ever, who's, who knows what I'm talking about? You've had those little tiny square crackers. Okay, and you Catholics have had, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but, you know, you get the little tiny square. Well, at our church, what we do is we actually, my wife every year actually bra- bakes, you know, the unleavened bread, and we actually actually take the bread and tear it up, you know, and and break that thing apart, and you get a torn up piece of bread, you say, why do we take the time to do that? Why don't we just order it from the little cracker uh, place? You know, the reason is because part of the Lord's Supper is to show the fact that his body was broken, that his body was was broken for us. At our church, we actually take the time, and of course, as the church grows, we uh, fill some of them in advance, but we take the time to uh, take the juice and to pour it into the cups as we hand it out. Why do we do that? Because the pouring of the wine, the juice, was to picture the blood of Christ being poured. So it's very much not just about remembering His sacrifice, but to actually show the Lord's death 
till he comes. So why do we do the Lord's Supper? What is the purpose of the Lord's Supper? Well, number one is to remember the death of Christ. But there's a second reason why we partake of the Lord's Supper. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Look at verse number 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and look at verse number 16. 1 Corinthians 10, 16. And I want to give you the second reason. So the first reason was to remember and to show the death of Christ. The second reason is to have communion. To have communion. See, the Lord's Supper is actually referred to in 1 Corinthians 11 as the Lord's Supper. But in 1 Corinthians 10, it is referred to as communion. And you say, well, what, what are we having communion? Well, let, let me start by saying this. The word communion means fellowship, all right? That's what it means. So when we are having communion, we're having fellowship. What are we having communion with? Or what are we uh, uh, having uh, uh, fellowship with? Well, the first thing you need to understand is it pictures our communion with Christ. 1 Corinthians 10, look at verse 16. Notice what the Bible says. The cup of blessings which we bless, is it not the communion or the fellowship of the blood of Christ. So when someone partakes of the Lord's Supper, they are basically showing that they have part that they are in communion with or in fellowship with Christ. The bread which we break is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Look at verse 21. Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Now and we, we've been in First Corinthians for a while, and, and if you remember, we talked about the, he, he goes into this whole thing with the church at Corinth about, you know, the, the eating meat sacrificed unto idols. And he was talking about how the idol is nothing, but the idols do represent devils. And he's talking about the fact that the Gentiles are worshiping devils when they worship these idols. And he's comparing the Lord's Supper with eating meat sacrificed unto idols in verse 21, when he says, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils, you cannot be partaker of the Lord's table and the table of devils. And I'm just bringing that up to show you that when we partake of communion, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are entering into communion with Christ, or we are actually showing that we are in communion with Christ. And I want you to understand that this is why the Lord's Supper is often referred to as an ordinance. In fact, if you look at the, uh, the, the first part of 1 Corinthians 11, we're going to come back to chapter 10, but just look at verse 11 real quick. Notice what he says in, in verse 1. He says, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that ye remember me in all things, and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. The reason that, that the, the communion is called often an ordinance, and also baptism is called an ordinance, because they basically have the same goal. Both are meant to remember the death of Christ, and both picture the death of Christ. When someone gets baptized and they are, you know, sitting there or standing there and the water crosses their body, that is a picture of the cross. When they come down under the water, that is a picture of the death. When they come up out of the water, that is a picture of the resurrection. See, baptism is for saved people that identifies them with Christ and identifies the fact that they're saved, that they're walking, that they have communion with Christ and the fact that they're saved. And then it pictures the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. Well, the Lord's Supper is the same thing in the sense that it pictures the death of Christ by breaking the bread, by pouring the wine, and it also identifies you with Christ and identifies you that you are in communion with Christ and the fact that you are saved. And by the way, the Lord's Supper is for saved people. If you're not saved, you should not be partaking of the Lord's Supper. And you know, you want to be careful about treating it like it's just no big deal. And we're going to talk about that later on in the sermon. But you know, I... 
you, you obviously what you do with your family is between you and God, but you know, we don't allow our children that aren't saved to partake of the Lord's Supper because it's something that is for saved people. It's just like we don't just let, you know, uh, call it swimming and let them get in the baptistry and let's baptize you after the service. No, this is something that is for people that are saved and it should be taken seriously. So the Lord's Supper is to remember the death of Christ. It's to have communion with Christ or identify us with Christ in communion with Christ. But just like baptism, because baptism identifies you with Christ, right? But baptism also identifies you with the church that you get baptized in. Remember, and I'm not going to get into all that. Remember, Jesus made a big deal about the fact that John had to baptize him. And in, in the book of Acts, we're told that people were added to the church when they were baptized. So you say, how do you become a member of an of a independent, Bible-believing Baptist church? Well, you got to get born again, and you got to be baptized according to the Bible. That's how you get added to the congregation according to the book of Acts. Well, communion... In the same way as baptism, not only identifies you with Christ, but it identifies you with the church. Look at verse 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 17. It says, for we, talking about believers, because he's talking to the church at Corinth, and Paul's a believer, and they're believers. He says, for we, notice what he says, being many. Talking about the fact that there are many people. He says, being many are one bread. You say, well, how are we one bread? You know, what, what is that supposed to mean? Well, maybe the next phrase helps you understand what he's talking about, and one body. Now, when we refer to the body of Christ, what are we referring to? We're referring to the church. The church is called the body of Christ. Jesus is the head of the church, and, the, and, and, the, and, and the, those of us that are part of the church, you know, make the body. And I'm not talking about a universal church. I'm saying this local congregation right here is the body of Christ, in Sacramento, California, you know, we come together as the body of Christ. And that is the example that he gives in 1 Corinthians 17. He says, for we being many are one bread and one body. Notice what he says, for we are all partakers of that one bread. See, what he's saying is, when we got saved... When you got saved and when I got saved and then we got baptized and then we united in this local church, you know what brings us together is the Lord Jesus Christ. Because, you know, the truth of the matter is, and I'm not trying to hurt your feelings or, or, or whatever, but the truth of the matter is that there are some people in this building right now that you and I or you and other people in this church, our paths would never cross. We would never know each other. We would never talk to each other. We would have nothing in common. We would not even know each other. The only reason we do is because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because He saved you and He saved me. And we have that in common. And that's what He's saying here in 1 Corinthians 10, 17. Notice what He says again. He says, For we, being many, are one bread and one body. For we are all partakers of that one bread. Verse 18. Behold Israel, now he's going to give us an example. He says, behold Israel after the flesh. Now when he says Israel after the flesh, what is he referring to? He's referring to the physical Jews of the Old Testament. He says, behold Israel after the flesh are not they which eat of the sacrifices. Remember when we were studying the book of Leviticus, how they were all supposed to bring sacrifices and the, 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 the priests ate some of it, the priests got a lot of it, but the people themselves partook in that. They ate with them. They had part of it. Notice what he said. He says in the Old Testament, when they would bring sacrifices, it says, are not they which eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? Here's what he's saying. In the Old Testament, the entire congregation took part 
of the sacrifice because they ate part of it. And he says that's the same way that the Lord's Supper brings the church together and it identifies us in communion, not only with Christ, but in communion with each other. Now you say, well, why is that important? Go, go, go back to, go to, go to 1 Corinthians 11. And again, you know, let me just say this. Many churches have different belief systems and they do it differently and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Everybody should do what they believe God has for them. But you know, today there are some who believe that the Lord's Supper is not to be done within the church. You know, and it's something that's supposed to be done individually, like individual families. And it's not new. It, you know, a lot, a lot of these things have been taught for years. I remember when I was a kid, I heard about uh, a family that went on a cruise and they partook of the Lord's Supper on the cruise, you know, in their, in their little room and in the cruise or whatever. So, you know, lots of people believe that. And, and I'm not against people, you know, I'm not saying anyone's a heretic or whatever for believing that. But you need to understand that in 1 Corinthians 10, the emphasis is on the fact that we are all partaking. And in fact, let me, I want to show you something there in 1 Corinthians 11, but let me just make that clear again. 17, when he says, we being many are one bread and one body. You know, we are one body in the sense that we are in the body of Christ. We're in the church of God, for we are all partakers of that one bread. So that identifies us with Christ, and it identifies us with the church. Now, why is it that some people may think, you know, communion is something to be done outside of church? You know, families are supposed to do it individually, where like the husband leads it. You know, why, why do some people uh, get that idea? Well, a lot of it comes from verse 20 in 1 Corinthians 11. That's not the only reason. They've got other reasons why they do it. And, you know, their reasons are, are valid in the sense that they interpret the Bible that way. Uh, that's between them and God. 1 Corinthians 11, look at verse 20. But this is the main reason why people have that belief system. And I just want to explain to you why we, we do it this way at Ready Baptist Church. And we don't allow for people to just do the Lord's Supper. You know, if you're going to go on a cruise, you're just going to miss the Lord's Supper. All right? You're, you're not, you're, if you're on a cruise next week, don't do it in your cabin and be part of our church. Because we're supposed to do it as the bread. We are all partakers of this bread. But the reason that people get this idea that it's something to be done outside of church, 1 Corinthians 11 to 20, is because of this. And verse 20 says this. When you come together... The Apostle Paul said, when you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. And if you just take that verse on its own, it sounds like it's saying, hey, don't come together. He says, when you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. If you took that verse just by itself, you could see how it might look like it's saying, hey, don't come together to take the Lord's Supper, you know, do it on your own. But you've got to understand the context in which he's saying that. Look at verse 21. He says, For in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. Now, what does he mean by that? He's saying, he's saying you guys come together, and you just eat your own... Notice the words there. Here are the key words. Own supper. All right? What's supper? For, I, we're not in the South, but right? What's supper? Where's Luke? Luke, what's supper? Dinner. It's dinner. All right? So he says, look, when you're eating your own supper... The one is hungry, so one doesn't get enough food, and another is drunken. He's saying another one gets too much. You say, what are you talking about? Look, just on Sunday night when we have cake and ice cream, just look around. You will see this verse. You know, about 27 children will run into that break room, right? They'll grab eight slices of cake. 
they'll eat four of them and smear the other four on the wall. And then, you know, all the adults that took, it took them 10 minutes to get out of their, out of their chair are going to get none, uh, no cake. What, what, do you, what happens? Well, one is hungry and another is drunken, right? Some kids are drunk off of sugar, and then other people go and get nothing. You know, there's no ice cream left. And here's the point that he's making. You see, these people, because remember, the church at Corinth is not a real spiritual church. I don't know if you've noticed that as we've been studying 1 Corinthians. They've got a lot of problems. They, uh, Paul is just correcting issue after issue every chapter, telling them, you're doing it wrong, you're doing it wrong, you know, you're, you're not doing things right. And he's telling these people, he's saying, you are treating the Lord's Supper like a potluck. And, he, and he's saying, you know, you guys are, are cu- you're calling it the Lord's Supper, but it's, all it is is a potluck. And that's what he's saying, when ye come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. He's not telling them, don't come together to take the Lord's Supper. He's telling them, you're not doing it right. He said, you're coming together, but it's not the Lord's Supper. It's just a potluck. For in eating, everyone taketh before after his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. Verse 22, what? Have ye not houses to eat and to drink? He's saying, look, you can eat at home. So you don't have to have potlucks at church every week and call it the Lord's Supper or despise you the church of God and shame them that have not. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. So what he's saying is you're taking something that's sacred like the Lord's Supper that's supposed to be meant to remember the death of Christ and it's supposed to be something that pictures our communion with Christ and our communion with each other and you've turned it into a potluck and that's the context in which you're saying when you come together therefore into one place this is not to eat the Lord's Supper and I, I use this illustration every year but I'm, gonna, I'm just going to use it again just to help you understand it the problem is that they were equating the Lord's Supper to something as common as your own supper right? verse 21 they were equating it to dinner how we would say it here in California, um, or a potluck, okay? It would be like equating baptism. Is baptism something spiritual that we do for God? You know, we get into water, and you dip under the water, you come up out of the water. It's something special that identifies you with Christ. It should be done once in your life. It should be done after salvation. It's commanded by God. But here's the thing. When you get into a bathtub, or when you get into a pool, don't you dip underwater? Well, is that baptism? You know, if you go home and take a bath tonight, is that baptism? I'm not trying to trick you. Does anybody know the answer to the question? Is every time you get underwater baptism? Okay, would it be silly if every time you got in the water, you just said, you know, you get baptized? I get baptized every, every day when I take a bath, right? Well, here, it would be like if someone was equating baptism to taking a bath. You say, well, Pastor Menace, what would you say, uh, or taking a bubble bath, what would you say? Here's what I would say to them. I'd say, when ye take a bath, this is not the Lord's baptism. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, when ye come together, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. He's just telling them, you're not doing it wrong. You're not doing it right. But in chapter 10, he said, the point of the Lord's Supper is to come together, to all partake of the same bread, to all unite as the body of Christ that we've all partaken of the bread. So that's the reason for the Lord's Supper. That's the purpose for the Lord's Supper. Now, before I move on to the second question, let me just deal with this real quick. Let's talk about what the Lord's Supper is not. And I don't have to, we don't have to worry about this here, but it's good for us to talk about it. Number one, the Lord's Supper is not a sacrament. All right? Now, you know, you, we live in the city of Sacramento. Why is the city called Sacramento? Well, because California had heavy Catholic you know, um, influence 
when it was part of Mexico and part of Spain or whatever. That's why we have cities called San Francisco and San Jose and Los Angeles, right? We've got all these Spanish Catholic type names and our city is called Sacramento. Now, what is a sacrament? A sacrament is something that the Catholic Church teaches and, and other churches too, but it's a religious ceremony or ritual regarded as imparting divine grace. It's a religious ceremony or ritual regarded as, here's the key word to why it's wrong, imparting divine grace, all right? They believe that when you partake of the communion, when you go down that Catholic church aisle and that, you know, priest gives you that cup, you know, that everybody's drinking out of or whatever, and he gives you that cookie and you take a bite of it, they believe that is actually imparting divine grace. Now look, the Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The Bible says that grace, that salvation is by grace, and grace, it, it, when it, 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 that gift is not of works. There's nothing you have to do. So look, this is not something we do in order to obtain salvation, because that's what a sacrament is. We do it, you know, the Catholics do it, or whoever does it, in order to get saved, to get divine grace. And that is heresy, all right? It is, we do not take the Lord's Supper to get saved. We take the Lord's Supper because we are saved. But let me say this also. The Lord's Supper is not, you know, transubstantiation. And you say, what is that? Well, let me give, read you the definition. It is the conversion of the substance of the uh, Eucharistic elements into the body and blood of Christ at consecration, only the appearance of bread and wine is still remaining. So the Catholic Church teaches that when you partake of communion, you take the bread and you take the cup, that when you drink of it and you eat of it, that it actually becomes the body of Christ and the blood of Christ, you know, I don't know, I guess after you swallow or something, okay? You say, what do you think about that? I think that's cannibalism, all right? I think that's weird. I don't think that's not in the Bible. And John 6 doesn't teach that, and I don't have time to go there, but that's not the Lord's Supper, all right? So it's not a sacrament. It's not transubstantiation. You say, what is the purpose of the Lord's Supper? It is to remember and to show the death of Christ, and it is to show communion our communion with Christ and our communion as a church together that we have all partaken of the bread and we are part of the body of Christ. So that is the answer to the question, what is the purpose of the Lord's Supper? Now let me answer the, a second question. When do we partake of the Lord's Supper? When do we partake of the Lord's Supper? Now, at Verity Baptist Church, we've chosen to partake of the Lord's Supper once a year. Go with me to the book of Luke. In the New Testament, you got Matthew, Mark, Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke. And again, look, you may go to another church or you may have gone to another church. I hope you don't go to another church. You may have gone to another church uh, where they did it differently or they didn't do it that way or they did it at home or whatever. Look, I'm not against those people. I don't have an issue with those people. I'm just explaining to you how we do it here at Verity Baptist Church. And I grew up in churches that did it differently than how we do it here. And I don't think those people were bad people and I don't think they were heretics or whatever. Luke chapter 22. We have chosen here at Verity Baptist Church to partake of the Lord's Supper once a year. You know, when I was growing up, I went to churches that did it like once a quarter. You know, once some churches do it once a month. Catholics do it once a week because they think they got to do it to get saved. You know, um, we do it once a year. Now, why do we do it once a year at Verity Baptist Church? Because some people don't like it that we do it once a year, and they wish we did, we did it more. But, you know, when you're the pastor, you can make that decision. Luke 22, let me explain to you why we've chosen to do it once a year. There's a couple things you need to understand about the Lord's Supper. Number one, 
the Lord's Supper is the New Testament continuation of the Old Testament Passover, all right? The Lord's Supper is not something new that Jesus just kind of made up, you know? You could probably say that about baptism, like it's just something new. We don't really see it in the Old Testament, but the Lord's Supper is not that way. It is the New Testament continuation of the Old Testament Passover, and you say, well, prove that. All right, well, in Luke chapter 22, we have one of the, it's one of several passages where the Lord Jesus Christ instituted what you and I today call the Lord's Supper. But I want you to notice what he called it, Luke 22 and verse 8. The Bible says this, And he, that's Jesus, sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare us, notice what he says, the Lord's Supper. Is that what he said? Communion. Is that what he said? No, he said, Go and prepare us the Passover that we may eat. Look at verse 11, just for sake of time. And ye shall say unto the good man of the house, The master, that's Jesus, saith unto thee, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Lord's Supper? Is that what it says? Where I shall eat the communion. Is that what it says? No, that where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples. And he shall show you a large upper room, furnish their, uh, their make ready. And they went and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Lord's Supper. Is that what it says? The communion. Is that what it says? They made ready the Passover. And when the hour was come, he was set down, and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, With desire I have desired to eat this Lord's Supper. Is that what it says? Communion. Is that what it says? No. He said, With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And he basically, if you keep reading partakes and institutes what you and I call the Lord's Supper or communion today. Look at, look at verse 19. And he took bread. Now this ought to sound like 1 Corinthians 11, right? And 1 Corinthians 10. And he took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave unto them saying, this is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. We read that in 1 Corinthians 11. And in 1 Corinthians 11, it was called the Lord's Supper. We read about the cup and the bread in 1 Corinthians 10. And in 1 Corinthians 10, it was called communion. But when we read about it in Luke, over and over and over and over again, in verse 11, in verse 15, in uh, verse uh, 13, in verse 8, he calls it the Passover, the Passover. Now, was Jesus lying? No, he wasn't lying. It's just you need to understand that the Lord's Supper is the New Testament continuation of the Old Testament Passover. Now you say, well, why does that matter? Go to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. You got Genesis and Exodus. Put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. Exodus chapter 12. You say, why does it matter that the, New Testament, that the Lord's Supper is the New Testament continuation of the Old Testament Passover? Here's why it matters. In the Old Testament, they did not take the Passover once a quarter or once a month. Or once a week. They took it once a year. Exodus chapter 12, look at verse 1. Exodus chapter 12, verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. So the children of Israel just came out of Egypt, and God is establishing a new calendar for the children of Israel. And he tells them this month is going to be the first month of the year. It shall be, notice verse, Exodus chapter 12, verse 2, last part of verse 2. It shall be the first month of the year to you. 
Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month, of what month? Of the first month of the year unto you. In the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And he basically goes on, if you keep reading, and gives them instructions for how to partake of the Passover. And I just want to show you there that the Passover was taken once a year. Jesus called the Lord's Supper the Passover. So just our position here is if the Passover was taken once a year and the Lord's Supper is a New Testament continuation of the Old Testament Passover, then we just take it once a year as well. Yeah, we just take it, you know, because that's how he did it. And he's making those connections for a reason. He's explaining to us, you know. Now, let me say this, because some people want to get real caught up on the exact date, you know, because as soon as you hear that, then people want to pull out all these Jewish calendars. And they're like, well, the month Abib, you know, or whatever, and then it's got to be on this day or whatever. First of all, I don't trust any Antichrist Jew about anything, all right? You know, these people are not saved. They rejected Christ, you know, so don't come to me with no Jewish calendar. You know, and here's the thing. I can prove to you from the Bible that the date of the Passover was not as important because they were supposed to take it on a certain day, but there are actually stories in the Old Testament where the Levites were unclean or the priests were unclean and weren't unable to do the Passover on that day, and they just moved it to a month later. So I don't think that God is up in heaven just, you know, wanting us to go call some rabbi and make sure that we've got the exact right, you know, moon calendar day or whatever. You know, I'm just saying this. The Passover was once a year. We take it once a year. That's our position you know, and, and that's why we do it. Now, why do we take it the week of Easter? Why do we take it the week before Easter? Go back to 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11. So don't get too caught up on the dates, you know. Whenever you got to go to extra, you know, biblical resources, you, you know you're already wrong, all right? If you can't figure it out from the Bible, then just do your best, you know. But like I said, I can show you in Scripture how even in the Old Testament, they changed the date of the Passover and God accepted it. God was fine with it. First Corinthians 11. Why do we choose? So we do it once a year. Why do we choose to do the Lord's Supper before Easter? When First Corinthians 11 and verse 23, the Bible says this. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. So I want you to notice that Jesus partook of what he called the Passover, which, by the way, he did die at the actual Passover, and he partook of the Lord's Supper right before his death. So it was the night before his death. After the Passover, he'll go into the garden, he'll pray, he'll be arrested. All night long, he'll go through, you know, these mock trials. In the morning, he'll be taken to the Romans, and later on that day, he will die. So the night before he was betrayed, he partook of the Lord's Supper. So here's the point that I want to make. He chose to do it on Passover, that's what he called it, and he did it right before he died. And of course, three days later, he's going to resurrect from the grave. And since the purpose of the Lord's Supper, which we've already covered, is to show and remember the death of Christ. Remember 1 Corinthians 11, 24, 1 Corinthians 11, 25, 26. It is to do in remember. He said, in remembrance of me, he says, you do show the Lord's death. So since the purpose of the Lord's Supper is to remember and show the death of Christ, you know, it, to me, it makes sense that we do it on the, on the week of Easter, so that the Wednesday, you know, before we celebrate the resurrection of Christ, we can take time 
to remember the birth of Christ. Uh, the, good night, the birth of Christ. The death of Christ. You know, not the birth of Christ. We're not having an early Christmas. So, you know, that's why we choose to do it that week. And it's probably, you know, because Jesus really did die on the Passover. So if Easter is on, you know, Sunday the 1st, then, you know, he died three days and three nights before, that, before he resurrected. Uh, and, and that's a whole other sermon, and we could go into that. Um, I don't have time to develop that, but I'll just throw this out there, and you can study this out on your own if you want. Good Friday is a hoax, all right? It's not real. It's made up. Uh, the, there's no way Jesus died on Friday, and the, biblically speaking, it doesn't work. Uh, go back to, and if that offends you, I, I don't know why we're not Catholics, but First um, Corinthians eleven. Look at verse. Um, look at verse twenty-five. Let me let me show you just one more thing about when we do the, the partake of Lord's Supper. So why do we do it once a year? We do it once a year because the Lord's Supper is a New Testament continuation of the Old Testament Passover. The Old Testament Passover was done once a year, so we do it once a year. We do it right before Easter because that's probably actually when Jesus did it, right before you know a few days before he resurrected, the night before he died. But we also do it then to remember and show the Lord's death. You know, and to consider, and we, and what we like to do is on that Wednesday, consider the death of Christ, remember the death of Christ, spend those next several days remembering and praising the Lord that He uh, died on the cross and that He went to hell for our sins. And then on Easter Sunday, we, resurre- we, we celebrate the resurrection of Christ and the fact that, you know, death could not hold Him and that He did not stay dead and He proved His power and might through the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 11, 25. Let me just give you one more thing in regards to this idea of when do we partake of the Lord's Supper. Verse 25. After the same manner also he took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. Verse 26. For, I want you to notice these words, As often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Now, because verse 26 has these words, as often as, some people take those three words to believe that you can just do it whenever you want. Do it as often as you want. Want to do it once a month? Do it once a month. Want to do it once a quarter? Do it once a quarter. Want to do it once a week? Do it once a week. Now look, if you interpret that verse that way, that's fine. I don't have an issue with you. I'm not your enemy. I don't hate you. But I believe if you read it in this context, he's telling you, I want you to do it in verse 25 in remembrance of me. The word for is a connecting word. The word for means because. Because of why? Because of what he just told us. Because he told us he wants us to do it in remembrance of him. He says, he says because as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death. So he's saying, you're doing it to remember because when you eat the bread and drink the cup, you're showing or picturing his death. I believe when he says... As often as ye, what he's saying is, you know, when you do it, this is what you're doing. Because remember, he's trying to explain to this church, we're not having a potluck here. All right? We're not just having our own supper. He's saying, it's done in remembrance of me. For as often as ye, he's saying, when you do do it, remember that you're doing it to show the Lord's death. I believe when you read that verse in its context... That's clear. If you don't see that, that's fine. You know, if you think as often as ye, and you want to do it as often, whatever. I mean, that's fine with me. I don't have an issue with that. I don't have people taking different stands on it. I'm just explaining to you why we do it this way. Because I actually get a lot of questions about the Lord's Supper. And people ask, you know, do you guys take the Lord's Supper? And yeah, we do. We do it once a year. I preach a whole sermon on it right before we do it every year, and we explain it. So here's the questions we've answered. What is the purpose of the Lord's Supper? It's to show the Lord's death, and it's to show the communion that we have with Christ and the communion that we have as a body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 10. 
When do we partake of the Lord's Supper? We partake of it once a year because it's the, Old, it's the New Testament continuation of the Old Testament Passover. And we do it right before Easter because we're supposed to remember the death of Christ. So it makes sense to remember the death of Christ before we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. Here's question number three. How do we participate in the Lord's Supper? How do we participate in the Lord's Supper? Go back to Exodus chapter 12 if you kept your place there. Exodus chapter 12. And I've, it's 8.05, all right? I'm supposed to be done in 10 minutes. I think we can do it. We'll, we'll just move quickly. Exodus chapter 12, look at verse 3. How? How? So we've answered the why, we've answered the when, now let's answer the how. How do we participate in the Lord's Supper? Well, we already established the fact that the Lord's Supper is the New Testament continuation of the Old Testament Passover. So what we could do is look at the Old Testament Passover and learn some practical guidelines about the Passover or what Jesus, what, what Jesus called the Passover in Luke and what the Apostle Paul called the Lord's Supper. Exodus chapter 12, look at verse 3. Let's look at the practicality of how to partake of the Passover. Exodus chapter 12, verse 3. Speaking unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month, they shall... Because remember, he told them, we're going to do this once a year. This is going to be the first month of the year for you. On the tenth day of this month, he said, I want you to do this. They shall, verse 3, take to them every man a lamb. So every man was supposed to take a lamb. According to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. So every house or every family had a lamb. Verse 4. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. So they were actually going to eat this lamb. So if you were like a, a young couple and you had a little baby, you know, a full, a big lamb is going to be too much food for you, then you might get with another young couple, you know, or whatever. You, it, you would do it according to the eating, you know. You would get together and just get enough people together to feed them with one lamb. Verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out of the sheep or of the goats, and ye shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month, and the whole assembly. So this is all, if you don't know, a picture of Christ, okay? Um, they, they were to take it out several days before they were to kill it. They were to examine it. Everyone was supposed to look at it and examine it. Same thing happened with Christ. On Palm Sunday, he came in and presented himself to the nation of Israel. The dispensationalists want to teach us that he presented himself as the king, and they rejected him, and God, that dispensation failed, so we went to a new dispensation of grace. That's a lie. He presented himself as the lamb so that he could be examined. And as you remember, he was examined, and what did they say? We find no fault in him, right? We said, they said we can't find anything wrong with him, just like this lamb, just like this idea. They were supposed to take the lamb, they were supposed to examine it, they were supposed to say we find no fault in it. It's supposed to be without blemish, which in the New Testament, that the word blemish is referring to sin. A male of the first year, ye shall take it out from the sheep coat or from the goats, verse 6, and ye shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. So notice, every family got their own lamb, but then the whole assembly got together, and they killed it together, just like they did to Christ. The whole assembly crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 7. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts of the upper door posts of the houses, wherein they shall eat, eat it. So, notice, they eat it in the house, they take the blood, they cover the doorposts of the blood, and they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. You say, well, what is this, you know, is this teaching that 
um, the Passover was supposed to be done in individual houses. Because this is another thing. People say, see, it was done in individual houses. But here's what I want you to understand. The only thing that was ate in the individual houses was the lamb. They ate the lamb and they put the blood on the doorpost. Now, do we have a lamb when we do the Lord's Supper? The answer is no. Say, why? Because if we did, that would be sacrilege. That would be blasphemy. We don't sacrifice a lamb because our lamb has already been sacrificed. Keep your place there in Exodus chapter 12, but go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. While you go there, let me read for you from John 129. John 129, you know this, says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. John 136, And looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold, the Lamb of God. Jesus was referred to as the Lamb of God. Why? Because he is the one that came to be sacrificed for our sins. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says this, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. Notice what it says, verse 7, For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. You say, well, he's the Passover, right? Yeah, he's the lamb. So it's interesting that the lamb was ate privately at home. You say, why? Because you know what? When you get saved, that's something that we can't do for you as a church. That has to be done privately at home. And I'm not talking about your physical home. I'm saying that has to be done in your heart. That's something that's between you and God. So the lamb, the lamb of the Passover, was ate privately. They didn't do that collectively. They did that in the home. Why? Because it's picturing salvation. Because when they take the the blood and put it on the doorpost of that home, that pictures salvation. Why? Because the tenth plague is coming, right? The children of Israel, the angel of death is coming, and he's going to kill the firstborn in every house. And every house that he sees the blood applied, he passed over that house, which is why it's called Passover. And that's all a picture of salvation. Look, when you got saved, the blood of Christ was applied to the doorpost of your house. And you know what? One day, the judgment of God is coming, and he's going to pass over you when he sees the blood applied. And if you don't have the blood applied, then you die. Then you go to hell. Then the judgment of God. That's the picture there. So notice, the lamb was ate at home. Why? It was done privately. Why? Because salvation is not something that can be done collectively. We can't do it as a congregation. You have to do that privately on your own. But notice the rest of the Passover, Exodus chapter 12. And understand the context. The context is that they just went through nine plagues in Israel, right? The lice, the frogs, the water being turned into blood, the, the hail with the blood, you know, the, 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 the moraine, the disease that killed all the cattle, the darkness. And now God is going to kill the firstborn of every house so that the children of Israel can leave. Exodus 12, look at verse 11. And thus shall ye eat it. So he's telling them, eat, eat the food in your house, but he says, do it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet. What does he say? He's saying, don't be in your pajamas. He said, be ready to go. Have your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Ye shall eat it in haste. He says, eat it quickly. It is the Lord's Passover. Skip down to verse 28 for sake of time. And the children of Israel went away and did as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. And, and so did they. Talking about the fact that they killed the, blood, the, the lamb, they applied the blood, and so forth. Verse 29. And it came to pass that at midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. And the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne under the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of cattle. 
And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. And he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise up and get you forth from among my people, both ye and the children of Israel, and go and serve the Lord as ye have said. Also take your flocks and your herds as ye have said, and be gone and bless me also. And the Egyptians were urgent unto the people that they might send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We be all dead men. Look at verse 34. And the people, notice what it says, took their dough before it was leavened. So notice, they didn't even have time to cook the, the, the bread. They had to get out of there so fast that they took the dough before it was leavened, their kneading troughs being bound up in their clothes upon their shoulders, and the children of Israel did according to the word of Moses, and they borrowed of the Egyptians jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment, and the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they lent unto them such things as they required, and they spoiled the Egyptians. That's just them getting paid for all those years of slavery. Verse 37, And the children of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth about, notice, six 100,000 on foot. Okay, does that sound like a congregation to you? That's collectively. That's a lot of people together that were men, just 600,000 men, not counting the children. Verse 38, and a mixed multitude went up also with them, talking about men and women. That's talking about collectively as a congregation and flocks and herds and even very much cattle. And they, notice, because remember, they left the house before that they, the bread, before they, it's called dough, before the dough had been leavened, now verse 39, now they're all together. They're not in the house anymore. There's 600,000 of them in a big congregation walking out of, uh, out of Egypt, verse 39, and they baked the unleavened cakes of the dough which they brought forth out of, uh, out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not tarry, meaning they could not wait. They couldn't wait to, get to bake the bread. So when did they bake the bread? When they were leaving Egypt in the group of 600,000, Neither had they prepared for themselves any victuals, like mop food. Uh, go to Deuteronomy 16. I just want you to understand something. When you study the Passover, they ate the lamb privately, but they ate the bread collectively. They ate the, bread, the lamb at home, but before they could bake the bread, they had to get out. 600,000 men, not counting women and children, a mixed multitude, all of them when they're together, they, they ate the bread. So look, that's just another proof of how we do the Lord's Supper. Because look, you gotta, you got to take the lamb privately. you got to get saved on your own. We can't do that as a group. But once you're saved, we come together and we partake of the bread. We partake of the juice. We don't have the lamb because Christ is our Passover. Go, go to Deuteronomy 16, verse 5. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 16, verse 5. Notice what the Bible says. And that's a good, that just shows you that man did not write the Bible. Because, you know, God had the story work out in a way where the lamb was at home and the bread was collectively because God knew that in the New Testament, this would all be pictured as the Lord's Supper and the lamb has to be done privately. But the Lord's Supper part of it, the bread and the juice gets done collectively. Deuteronomy 16, verse 5, notice what the Bible says. Thou mayest not sacrifice the Passover within any of thy gates, which the Lord thy God giveth thee. But at the place which the Lord thy God shall choose to place his name in, there thou shalt sacrifice the Passover at even, at the going down of the sun, at the season that thou comest forth out of Egypt. He says, I want you to do it at the same time you came out of Egypt, the same season. Verse 7, and thou shalt roast and eat it in the place, place which the Lord thy God shall choose. 
So eventually they were even, you know, having that in, in the land that they were eating it, not obviously coming out of Egypt. And thou shalt turn in the morning and go unto thy tent. So I just want you to notice that this was something they did collectively. This was not something they did individually. So what is the purpose of the Lord's Supper? To remember the death of Christ, to show communion with Christ and with each other. When do we partake of the Lord's Supper? Once a year. Because it's the New Testament continuation of the Old Testament Passover. We do it before Easter to show his death before we celebrate his resurrection. How do we participate in the Lord's Supper? We do it collectively as a church. You get saved on your own, and then we come together and partake of the Lord's Supper together. Just like the children of Israel partook of the lamb on their own, and then as they were coming out of Egypt in a collective group, they partook of the bread together. Now let me just real, real fast... Oh, wow. Okay, I really went out of time. But let me real quick go to 1 Corinthians 11, all right? We're going to cover half of, we're covering half of chapter 11. So uh, next week, the sermon will be shorter, I, I promise, I think. Hopefully you don't remember. 1 Corinthians 11, let me just give you, just real quickly, all right? This is, that was all explanation. I have to explain that to answer all the questions. Now let me just really fast give you reasons why it may be inappropriate for you to take the Lord's Supper. You may want to consider not taking the Lord's Supper. Now, I don't want to say that in the wrong way. I want as many of you to show up for the Lord's Supper next week as possible, but there are reasons why you should not partake of the Lord's Supper that he tells us. Let's look at those quickly, because I'm trying to get you to not die, okay? And, it, and you'll, see, you'll see what I mean here in a minute. And I'm just kidding, but not. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 16. But if any man seem to be contentious, what's contentious? Someone's always angry, argumentative. He said, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. You know, we, we should not be known as contentious people. Now, I, I praise the Lord that we're known as contending people. Earnestly contend for the faith. I want to contend, but not be contentious. I want to contend for the things of God and fight the good fight, but not just be someone who's always fighting just for any reason. And the Bible tells us here, hey, don't be, if you're, don't be contentious. And let me tell you something. It may be inappropriate for you to partake of the Lord's Supper if you are involved in contentions. I'm not talking about contending. Contend for the faith. But if you're contentious, you may not want to partake of the Lord's Supper. Look at verse 17. First Corinthians 11 is about the Lord's Supper. That's the context we're, we're seeing these verses. Verse 17. Now, in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that ye come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. So you know what? Number two, it, you may not want to partake of the Lord's Supper if you are involved in divisions. If you are spreading rumors, if you're talking bad about someone behind their back, if you're trying to divide this body, this bread, we're all one bread, one body, and if you're causing divisions, if you're, causing, if you're arguing and being contentious, if you're causing division, you may not want to partake of the Lord's Supper. Look at verse 19. Here's the third reason. For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may, may um, manifest among you. So, you know, you, if you are involved in spreading heresies, you may want to partake of the Lord's Supper. No, you may not want to partake of the Lord's Supper. You say, well, why? Well, here's why. Here's the results. Verse 27. Why do you, if I'm contending, if I'm preaching heresy, if I'm, you know, uh, d dividing, why should I not partake of the Lord's Supper? Verse 27, wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink of this cup of the Lord unworthily, not suitably, not fittingly, not appropriately. What does that mean? Well, that probably means you're taking it and you're not saved, but it probably means if you're studying it in its context, 
you're not worthy to take of the Lord's Supper if you're involved in heresies, if you're involved in division, if you're involved in contentions. He says, if you drink of the cup of the Lord unworthily, shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. He said, look at your own life. Are you being contentious? Are you causing divisions? Are you, you know, gossiping and talking bad about people? Are you spreading heresies? And so let him also eat of that bread and drink of the cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh that nation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Verse 30, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Saying people are dying. That's what he's saying. People are dying because they're partaking of the Lord. Supper unworthily. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. You know, and if, if you are partaking in these things, you know, you may not want to take a Lord's Supper because you say, why? Because God may kill you. You know, and, and several months ago, we had a group of guys in our church that were spreading a bunch of heresies. I wish I would have just like done the Lord's Supper, you know, and just been like, here, drink this, <laughs> you know. Because, look, the Bible says that if you're spreading heresies, you better not take the Lord's Supper because God might just make you sick and kill you. That's how serious he is about it. And I'm joking, but I'm not. So, you know, that's what he's saying. So, you know what? If you're, in, if you're fighting with someone in church, you may want to either get, make that right or not show up. You know, or if you're causing divisions, if you're gossiping about someone, you're trying to split, you know, people in the church, you may want to get that right or not show up. If you're spreading heresy, get that right or just never show up. You know, just don't come back, all right? But, um, you know, because this is, this is a serious matter about the Lord's Supper. I mean, I'm not the one that wrote that. He's the one that said, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Let's bow our heads and have a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for allowing us to be able to study this uh, subject to get, uh, together, Lord. And Lord, I, I pray that people would understand the spirit in which the sermon was preached. This is just explaining what we believe, how we see it here at Ready Baptist Church. There are good men all over this country that see it differently, do it differently, and there's nothing wrong with that, Lord. I pray you'd help us never to have a pharisaical attitude looking down on anyone else that sees things differently, Lord. Just help us to realize that this is why we do it, this is how we do it, and help our church to get on board with what we do and how we do it here, Lord. I pray that you'd help us to take the next week to prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper, to get sin out of our lives, to get, make relationships right, to get our hearts right. And Lord, I pray that you would bless that time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.